Hey, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host. And, you know, sometimes it's good to go out and get another person's view on things. Somebody who has good insight, somebody who's fun to talk to, someone who knows politics and isn't afraid to have a take. Well, that, my friends, is Ed Krasenstein. Now, Ed... Uh, has over 700,000 Twitter followers. He's a journalist, and uh, he's an unapologetic opponent of pretty much everything President Trump does. So Ed is our guest today. We're going to have a lot of fun chatting. Uh, We've had a lot of fun on Twitter going back and forth. And I got to tell you, um, Ed is absolutely a bright guy. He's a funny guy. And he's somebody you're going to want to um, sit back for a while and listen to. He's he's entertaining, and he's somebody who we're going to have a little fun with uh, coming up very soon, right after these words from BitTrust IRA. Let me tell you a little bit about my friends at BitTrust IRA, okay? The world of cryptocurrency is both exciting and daunting, okay? It's not a place for rookies. Look, if you don't have cryptocurrency like I do and millions of others in your existing portfolio, you are making a mistake. But now I know you want to take advantage of Bitcoin, but you don't know how. You want to add Bitcoin to your retirement account. Look, you're always wanting to add diversity to your portfolio, you know, and why not look at innovative investments, right? I'm going to tell you what, my buddies at BitTrust IRA are going to help you Do this in a seamless and secure way to add cryptocurrency to your portfolio. Their team handles the entire process. They make it easy, okay? Now, their team becomes your team. They explain everything to you in a step-by-step manner. Very easy, okay? They answer every one of your questions. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to download a free copy of their Cryptocurrency IRA Investor's Guide. That's called the Cryptocurrency IRA Investor's Guide. It is free, and you can get it at bittrustira.com slash podcast. That's B-I-T-T-R-U-S-T-I-R-A dot com slash podcast. B-I-T-T-R-U-S-T-I-R-A dot com slash podcast. Or If you prefer to call, that's not a problem either. All right, you ready? Here's the numbers. 855-642-8800. That's 855-642-8800. Call the folks at BidTrust IRA today. You're going to thank me for it. I know you will. Welcome back to the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host. As I said before the break, our guest is Ed Krasenstein. Now, Ed is an outstanding journalist. He's uh, fun to follow on Twitter. He is an entrepreneur. And as I said before, he's an unapologetic critic of um, President Donald J. Trump. So with that in mind, uh, Ed, let's kick things off by chatting, if you will, a little bit about something that I feel is an underreported story. And I'd like your opinion on it. And that is the amount of conservative judges that are being pointed to the bench on the lower levels that uh, definitely going to have an impact on uh, what's going on uh, on a regional basis, to be sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it's, it's ba- the Supreme Court's a lifetime position. So right. when we see all these conservatives taking, giving positions in the courts, they're going to be there for life or until they resign. And mm-hmm. in the long run, in the long run, it's going to force our court system to be more conservative. And I really, depending on what your ideologies are, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. Right. And I think that, you know, for the most part, one of the things that has been the bedrock of this administration has been rolling back the rights of women and the LGBTQ community. And um, I'm not sure that the president delves into policy very much, but this truly has the vice president's fingerprints all over it. Absolutely. Uh, you, you know, I, I don't think Trump really cares. It's, I, I feel as though no. he, I, I, feel, I feel he just wants people that are going to back his policy and his policies and his administration's policies. And the more friends he can have in the court systems, uh, it, the better it is for him in the long run. And I, I agree that Mike Pence has a lot of influence over him in regards to women's rights and uh, the LGBT community. I, I honestly don't think Trump really cares one way or the other about a lot of these social issues. I think mm-hmm. it's just him appealing to his base and him keeping Mike Pence on his side. Let me ask you a question about the base, okay? I'm going to throw a hypothetical out there. I, I really would like your opinion. on. My thought is this. That 36 is 38%, right? Um, the base, as they continue to call it. That's going to be there regardless. You know, fill in the blank. It may have been Trump. It may be anybody. A generic Republican. Where he really won this race had nothing to do with the base. It had to do with approximately half a million people over a four-state area. And, you know, this this constant pandering to the base is crazy because, in fact, it was Democrats – and some independents in Pennsylvania, in um, Ohio, in Florida, in uh, Wisconsin and Michigan who pushed them over the top. I mean, literally, it's less than a million people. And those are the folks who are the fluid ones um, who are literally his base. And I don't think he even knows it. Yeah, I I think it's just like people. There's so much disinformation out there that it was hard for hard for a lot of Democrats to go to the poll feeling go go to the polls feeling like they were actually voting for somebody they could put their faith in. Uh, mm-hmm. It didn't come out until after the election that so much of this this uh, these stories that were being pushed on Facebook and Twitter and mm-hmm. and throughout other social media outlets was actually propaganda mm-hmm. and. Like I was saying, I, when I went to vote, I felt as if I wasn't – I felt as though I had like a devil and an angel on my shoulder trying to pull me in two different ways, mm-hmm. vote for Hillary, don't vote for Hillary, just because of all the news I read, mm-hmm. which turns out to be fake most of it. I hate mm-hmm. using that term fake news because I'm so against, I'm so against what Trump does for that term. Well, it's funny to me. You know, I covered the campaign from pretty much the day the escalator went down to 3.45 in the morning when it was 
relatively a fait accompli that he was going to be president. And the interesting thing to me is that, and again, like your opinion of this, to me, it seemed as if the the outcasts or the, or the ultra conservative part of the party drew themselves to Trump only because he was in the midst of basically vanquishing all of the quote unquote mainstream Republicans. So he ends up with Sessions, uh, who becomes the attorney general. He ends up guys like Mark Meadows and Jim Johnson uh, of the Freedom Caucus. He ends up with Mike Mulvaney. I mean, most of the people he has, and Pence included, are of the very, very conservative wing of the party. And here you got a guy who, for most of his life, was at the very least uh, not a Democrat. Certainly, you know, anybody who knows that a, a conservative Republican in, in the Northeast, be it New York, be it New Jersey is nowhere near the conservative um, Republican in Alabama. So um, I just think those were the people that drew him. You know, once he was, once he got in, those were the folks that they had been with him while others hadn't. And they are so far out of the main that I think that's, you know, that isn't also part of the problem. I, I agree with you hundred percent there. And I, I, th- I think, I feel like there's two Republican parties. You know, there's the Freedom Caucus and mm-hmm. all those ultra Southern conservatives, and then, like you said, like the the conservatives of the Northeast. I I feel like I feel like in Congress, though, it's 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 kind of hard to draw a line there, at least in the in the House, because they're all they're they're so supportive. The Republicans in Congress are so far to the right, mm-hmm. or in, in the House are so far to the right because they represent such a small portion of America or they represent their communities. So I feel like they're attracted to Trump and they need Trump and they need to support Trump or they're going to lose their seats come the midterms. Whereas in the Senate, I feel like everything's more centered. The left isn't so far to the left and the right isn't so far to the right. So they're actually, you know, what's in their best interest is basically doing what in the best interest of their state rather than what's in the best interest of Trump. But at the same time, the Republicans can't stray from Trump too much without losing the vote. Yeah, I mean, but um, if you look like Charlie Dent in um, in the Philadelphia area, the suburbs of Philadelphia, Bucks County, and uh, up into um, the Lehigh Valley area, Pennsylvania, if you're not familiar. Yeah, that's, the... that's actually my home area. I'm, I'm from southern New Jersey. Okay. Then you know Charlie Dent. Um, yes. There's a number of, of um, conservatives who were elected, um, who are, you know, Bush conservatives or whatever you want to call, however you want to uh, categorize them. But, but those conservatives uh, were very bipartisan. They weren't, you know, hard, solid, have to do it my way type situations where I think the Freedom Caucus, and I'm going to throw a lot of you know, blame on that is they're absolutely positively un, you know, relenting, uh, even within their own party, as to giving up even an inch of uh, of space. Uh, they don't do any bipartisan things. They don't do even, you know, bipartisan within their own uh, within their own caucus, which leads me to um, 
make the comment that I, again, seeking your opinion. I honestly believe that um, Paul Ryan, the present Speaker of the House, may very well go down as the worst and most ineffective Speaker of the House, um, perhaps in, in American political history. I, I can definitely see see that happening. Um, I I feel as though he's not qualified for the position. He's not he's not very good at bringing his party together, let alone both parties. Um, I I get I guess he's resigning at the end of this term. Although right. that seems like it seems like it goes back and forth. Like I I feel like he said that before and then kind of backtracked again and then now he's resigning again. But uh, it should be interesting to see who who is replaced in that position. Uh, it, I, I mean, I guess that, that's going to be determined after the midterms and we see if the Democrats can reclaim the House. But even if it's, if it's another Republican, it should be interesting to see who they choose. Hopefully it's not a Freedom Caucus member. There's going to be some major issues there. Well, right now, you know, the number two in line is Kevin McCarthy. And Kevin McCarthy at one point had been considered uh, for potentially uh, a spot in the West Wing, even as high as perhaps being um, chief of staff. Uh, so clearly Trump and McCarthy get along well. They get along better than Trump and, and, uh, and Ryan. Uh, but there's a push from the Freedom Caucus uh, to you know, try to get one of their members in, and there's two or three of them that are um, you know, at the list. So, I mean, it's going to be a bit of a bloodbath once that happens, whether they are uh, vying for the speaker, if, if the Republicans hold on to the House, or if they're vying for, um, you know, the minority leader, uh, you know, in that particular case. One, or, one way or another, at this point in time, as you said earlier, I agree wholeheartedly, uh, there's probably three different factions in the Republican Party at this point in time. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you know, it's it's going to be interesting, and I think it. I'm kind of excited to watch and see how that how it unfolds. Um, I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping Democrats reclaim the House, but at this point, it's you know, I'd say it's fifty fifty. Well, they have to. They only have to flip twenty four seats, and. That's doable. The, the trick is allowing, you know, allowing them to be um, true to what the district is. I, you know, I've done a number of interviews on this podcast with uh, first-time um, first candidates from all over the country. And, you know, they... The first thing you say to them is, you know, you talk about the issues in their area, right? And, you know, they, they kind of steer clear of certain progressive, if you will, uh, flashpoints, because they know the moment they start down that, you know, rabbit hole, they're going to lose. Um, so they've been very good. It's like, you know, PA-18, where... Yeah, it was Lamb. That, that, I was just going to mention that as well. Yeah. Like, he was he was a Democrat, but he was he had a lot of conservative ideologies. Right. I mean, it's uh, it, it's the old joke about why um, governor <laughs> why the governor of uh, Ohio 
you know, John Kasich is uh, the Republic, the Democrats' favorite Republican. Um, you know, it's, it's someone who's near what you're doing and is centrist and builds coalitions and all that sort of thing. Um, and I do think that part of the, the, the part of the problem for the Democrats as they head to the midterm is defining a message, number one, and that message can't just be anything but Trump. And yes, I have exactly. been, I have been very um, pleased, I guess would be the best way of putting it, of uh, in talking with these different candidates around the country, that they do have incredibly strong uh, ideas, and they and and they do understand what the needs of their communities are. But 100% of the people I've spoken to who are running bring back, if it's not number one, it's certainly number two. And that's healthcare on their issue. And um, that, I think, is where um, they can make some hay because the Republicans in Congress, you know, screwed the pooch on that one. And um, I think we're going to find out uh, if indeed they have any plan whatsoever that uh, will help repair what we have or if they're just cool with everything blowing up and, and falling apart. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think the message they need to be sending is that we're anti-Trump. That's not going to get them votes. No. Uh, if anything, they might lose them some votes. But if, if they can come out and you know to say, okay, Obamacare wasn't perfect. It wasn't intended to be perfect. It was intended to be worked on and fixed in Congress. And that's what my plan is going to be. I, I think that's that's a solid message, especially with insurance costs, health insurance costs going up so much since Trump's taken over. He's done nothing but hurt it. Uh, I I think the current Congress has done nothing but hurt it. So that's that's going to be a huge huge thing. Uh, I think focused on maybe reducing drug drug costs, especially on, for Medicare. That mm -hmm. was something that Trump promised, but now he's backed off of. Uh, I think that's that's something that's important, and I I think that's something Democrats and Republicans can kind of both work on. Mm -hmm. But if, if Democrats are going to send this message. That they're really focused on healthcare. I think, I think that's really one of the big message messages that uh, most of America cares about. Um, in the podcast last week, I talked with uh, Bob Graham, who served as governor of the state of Florida and um, also uh, was in the United States Senate representing the state. Uh, considered by many one of the um, the best leaders both when he was in florida and and in the, the senate is someone who is uh, you know tried to do his best to push bipartisanship to its to its max and civility and all that and i think that what we have right now is in some regards almost mean-spirited i mean let's take for instance this past week you had on the, on the absolute day that the first lady, Melania Trump, was talking about helping children, you had on the same exact day, the president, you know, basically looking at ways to cut chip, which for all intents and purposes, you know, is the lifeline for kids. I mean, it's literally draconian how, you know, how could you cut programs for, you know, for children? 
um, while at the same time wanting to have a parade down Pennsylvania Avenue with tanks and airplanes. Exactly, and, and you know, it's like some of the some of Trump's moves just baffle me. It's like I I don't see any reason for some of his policy changes. I feel as though he has some sort of ulterior motive on some of these things. What that is, I don't know, but like some of them, it's it just doesn't even go along with the Republican Party. Democrats and Republicans come out about both come out about this stuff and it seems like there's no reason for some of this stuff no i, I don't know if you feel the same way but yeah well I, there's more there, and more I, I start feeling like that well let's 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 walk it back a bit you know history is always a good place to start um you know uh, i've never and you mentioned this yourself i've always had respect for the office the president i may not have agreed with Pretty much, you know, all the different presidents who've been, you know, since I've been an adult enough to vote, um, I've always had a little bit of something I've disagreed with them, even though it may have supported them. Um, this time, it's hard to have any understanding of the president because, unlike any president we've ever had before, first of all, I don't think this one could pass a civics test in eleventh grade. Um, the other part of it is that there's no plan. There's no focus. There's no, here's my economic plan. Here's my, you know, plan having to do with healthcare. Here's different plans. There is no such thing. There's no policy here. There's no policy shop in the bill. Um, so you're having someone who's making it up on the fly and that is not a way to run policy. And so, um, because of that, uh, he has basically uh, served in his presidency as someone who, you know, basically uses, from a policy standpoint, uses um, the uh, presidential, uh, you know, opportunity to use his, um, I'm, I'm blanking on the term, I'll, I'll fill this in later, but it's, you know, we're talking about uh, special orders which he can, um, he sure. can sign into law. Um, and so by signing those into law, he's changing the way, you know, the, all, a lot of the policy has been through, basically through fiat, by writing something and saying, this is the way we're going to do it now. Well, of course, that's not a law, okay? And that can be changed. But in four years, you can do a hell of a lot of damage before someone else can be voted in and bring it back. Yeah, I, I agree, and I I think this whole this, these revelations about Michael Cohen, mm -hmm. I feel like that kind of makes you think about some of the moves he's been making, such as you know he came out against the AT and T Time Warner deal, sure. uh, back in I think it was November of last year, sometime mm -hmm. around then, and now right. he's kind of backing off of that after we find out that AT and T paid Michael Cohen six hundred thousand dollars, and then right. there's the whole thing with uh, with uh, lowering drug prices, which he promised, I think mm -hmm. that was a campaign promise. And now we find out that uh, Novartis, a pharmaceutical company, paid sure. Michael Cohen $1.2 million to virtually do nothing, according to them. And mm -hmm. Trump has backed off of uh, the lowering of drug prices for Medicare. So it's like, I, I don't want to come out and say it's all based on him getting paid by, right. these, by corporate America in order to make these moves because it's beneficial to him. But Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a real possibility of 
at least according to what the evidence that we've been seeing over the last few days, right. weeks. Well, yeah, the pay-for-play situation um, is interesting because, you know, Michael Cohen isn't a registered lobbyist. It's not like, let's don't be, you know, we're, we're not, we're not virgins here. We do realize that, you know, money finds its way into politics in many different ways. Um, this gang just happens to be a lot more sloppy in the way that they uh, have, have handled it. It's almost as if they set up a, you know, an office across the street from the uh, from the White House saying, look, if you, uh, if you want me uh, to get you some uh, FaceTime with the president, it's going to cost you X, Y, or whatever. Um, so yeah, they've been a little sloppy at the way they do it. Um, but even though there has been uh, that type of pay for play in some regard um, in Washington, it's never quite been this blatant. And I think that doesn't help either. Yeah, I, I mean, other administrations have, I'm sure, taken part with lobbyists. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. that's not something new. And I mean, politicians at every level do that to some degree. Sure. But it, but it's like with with Trump, I'm I'm beginning to feel like that's his only motive for creating laws. Is is this going to benefit myself and my family, mm-hmm. or is it not? And that's you know, like if it's by benefit, I mean, is it going to benefit him monetarily or mm-hmm. in some other way, rather than what's actually good for the country? And at the same time, what's actually good for him means appealing to to those who might vote for him or might not vote for him. Right. So, but I, I mean, I mean, I guess on some level that's how every politician is. But with Trump, I feel as though it's more obvious and blatant, and uh, I I feel like it's it's the only thing that motivates him. We will be back with more of the politically incorrect podcast after these words. Let me tell you a little bit about my friends at Bit Trust IRA. Okay. The world of cryptocurrency is both exciting and daunting, okay? It's not a place for rookies. Look, if you don't have cryptocurrency like I do and millions of others, in your existing portfolio, you are making a mistake. But now I know you want to take advantage of Bitcoin, but you don't know how. You want to add Bitcoin to your retirement account. Look, you're always wanting to add diversity to your portfolio. You know, and why not look at innovative investments, right? I'm going to tell you what. My buddies at BitTrust IRA are going to help you do this in a seamless and secure way to add cryptocurrency to your portfolio. Their team handles the entire process. They make it easy, okay? Now, their team becomes your team. They explain everything to you in a step-by-step manner, very easy, okay? They answer every one of your questions. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to download a free copy of their cryptocurrency IRA investors guide. That's called the cryptocurrency IRA investors guide. It is free and you can get it at bittrustira.com slash podcast. That's B-I-T-T-R-U-S-T-I-R-A.com slash podcast. B-I-T-T-R-U-S-T-I-R-A.com. S-T-I-R-A dot com slash podcast. Or if you prefer to call, that's not a problem either. All right, you ready? Here's the numbers. 
855-642-8800. That's 855-642-8800. Call the folks at Bid Trust IRA today. You're going to thank me for it. I know you will. Welcome back to the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams. Let's pick up with our guest, Ed Krasistan. I think that um, part of the part of the MO here was I don't think he thought he was going to win. So the concept was, all right, fine. Let's figure out how to make the most money off of this deal. We lose, we cash in, and then things happen. Um, one of my favorite plays of all time, which of course was from a movie, is The Producers. And it's almost in some way like the producers. I mean, it's like, let's go create something so bad that no one will want to watch it, but we will have made our money off of it. And then, uh, you know, it turns out it's a hit and they're like, you know, what are we going to do? We now, you know, now we have a hit and we have to pay back all this money. And, oh my God, we didn't think this was going to happen. So I think that was kind of an odd situation for them. I think, I don't think they thought they were going to win. I thought that they, felt, okay, let's see how, you know, how much influence we can get out of this deal. I, I agree 100%. Uh, you know, the whole thing with Russia uh, collusion or conspiracy yeah. with Russia, I, I kind of think that, I kind of feel as though that, that, same, that same idea applies there, where if, if Trump did conspire with Russia in some way, I don't think he did it with the sense that he was going to be president. I think he did it okay, I'm not going to win the election. I don't have anything to worry about because once the election's over with, this will be over with, and I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to, I'm going to gain financially. I'm going to, you know, maybe I'll get this deal in Moscow. Maybe I'll get other deals from the Russian government, and it's going to benefit me in the long run, and I'm not going to be president. I don't, I don't think he ever assumed he was going to be president. Yeah, it was a big shock to all of us on that time. Um it's, um, you know, I think that one of the things we have to look at is where do we go from here, all right? We know where we are at the moment, but we know the Mueller probe is moving forward, but the country's got to, I mean, you got to run the country too. And um, I think that um, there's been, you know, some hope that there might be uh, some gun uh, legislation. I don't think that's going to happen. What are some of the things you think might move forward uh, as we go uh, into the midterms and uh, and perhaps beyond? That's a good question. Right right now, I honestly can't think of much, anything, at least anything significant. Uh, I I think we're going to really have to wait till after the midterms are over with, and we see who who represents us in government and. Maybe we'll get some fresh faces who can actually work, kind of work bipartisan and get things done. Um, other, like I, I just can't like right now with the current House of Representatives, I can't see them getting anything done whatsoever. I just, I just can't. And I, I mean, in 2019, January 2019, when we see a new Congress seated, maybe, maybe there'll be people in there who are willing to work, work with the other side to get laws passed. But until then, I I just feel like the blood the, there's too much bad blood between between both parties in Congress. Um, yeah, I think that's that's true. But I think that um, the interesting part is let's let's go back and we're talking about healthcare, right? Um, literally 
five minutes after the um, the morning that the uh, attempt to repeal and replace Obamacare happened, uh, Lamar Alexander, the senator from uh, Tennessee, Patty Murray, uh, senator from from um, Washington, uh, got together and started to sit down and come up with a, a bipartisan plan to help prop up the um, insurance industry so that you know premiums would not go skyrocketing and kind of it was what in essence was the first step toward um, the repairing uh, of Obamacare or the ACA. Um, that which you know that little bill which had support of as many as anywhere from 55 to 60 um, senators never ever made it to the floor. And I think therein is, is part of the problem. There is bipartisan support for a number of issues, uh, but as long as Mitch McConnell chooses not to let things go to the floor, it's never going to happen. Yeah. And you know, it's like, I don't, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be sending this stuff to the floor. Why not let it go to a vote? Isn't that what Senate's there for? That's, that aggravates me so much that he, he holds all this stuff back, and, it, and it, it's in the best interest of the country. And even Republicans are, side, are siding with this, some of these laws. It's like, what's the reason to hold it back? It, it's like, like with the Mueller protection bill that was held back. What's the reasoning for that? Why not let it get have a vote? At least, at least let America know where their senators stand on certain issues. Yeah, I mean, in that particular case, you have a deal where, you know, you know you're you know that you're going to pass it, right? You also know that the president's not going to sign it. It was like that crazy thing that took you know the Republicans almost six years uh, when President Obama was still president, um, where they actually, you know came out with what in essence was a clean uh, bill to repeal the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, and they sent it to his desk. Well, of course he's going to, you know, veto it. Um, you know, it's, it's yeah. insane to think that he wouldn't. Um, and so this is more of what you're saying, and I totally agree from that standpoint, is that what you're saying is, okay, cool. Go ahead, have the vote. Up and up or down, and what it does show is a uh, an opportunity to basically say, "All right, uh, one way or another, you know, we got Mueller's back." Yeah, you, you know, it's it's like one way or another, we're going to have a conclusion to the Mueller investigation. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know how it's going to end up. We don't know what what the results of it will be, but in the end, it's either going to show that. Trump committed crimes or he didn't do anything. We don't know. But we should we should get to see where our senators stand on protecting a special counsel. Or say in the future there's a special counsel for a Democrat that's in office. We want to know where these each at least I do. At least I, I want to know where my senators stand on these issues. So when I go to the polls, maybe I'll maybe I'll vote for a a moderate Republican because I, I like where he stands on this issue. You know, it's, it's, it's just, why shouldn't we know where they stand? 
Well, we should. And, you know, the, the part of the problem is whether it's in the House or it's in the Senate, um, you know, unless they think they can pass it, it doesn't, you know, the bills don't come to, to the floor. And, um, you know, they use these bizarre rules, which aren't really rules. They're m rules they made up. It's like the Hastert rule that in, uh, in the House where it's got to be the majority of the majority. Well, that's ridiculous. There's no such thing as, you know, the Hastert rule was, you know, something that somebody just coined just like they did the Biden rule with regard to Merrick Garland uh, and him never getting a hearing on the, uh, on becoming a, um, you know, a, a Supreme Court justice. It's just totally insane that uh, you wouldn't if even if McConnell knew he wasn't going to, you know, go through the vote process or even for that matter, uh, had the votes to, to defeat Garland. Um, fine, but, you know, at least give the guy you know, an opportunity. And again, using these bizarre and, you know, they're not rules. They're um, things that have happened that people, you know, refer to as rules. It's almost like, you know, if you're a baseball fan, the unwritten rules of the game. Well, you know, if they're unwritten, then they can't be rules. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, you know, it def by the very definition, it doesn't work. Um, thoughts on, uh, on the NRA and what, uh, what we're seeing from from that group at this point in time you know it's i i feel the nra has become so far to the right over the past decade that it's it's become it's become more political than it ever has been i i, I was watching a video I, I guess it was a week or so ago from from the previous president who was giving a speech about guns in schools mm -hmm. and he was saying this was years ago he was saying that just like just like we don't want guns in airports, we don't want guns in schools. There's absolutely no reason to have guns in schools. And now the NRA is, you know, they're supporting arming teachers with guns. It's it's like I I feel like they've evolved so far to the right, and it's it, it's just it's just more about making money. You know, it's, it's just more about financial gains rather than actually doing what they're supposed to do or originally what we're supposed to do um it's i i don't know if, if the left is to blame for this a little bit too in that the left has gone so far to the left and become so so outspoken about guns i don't know i don't know but i i feel like they've gone so far to the right where some of their some of like they 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 blame democrats for wanting to you know circumvent the second amendment when that's Nobody's ever said we're going to take their guns away. There's been proposals to ban assault weapons, but that that's not that's not saying no. You can't own a firearm. I there's we can make rules to ban certain guns. That's not against the Second Amendment. But you know, it's like it's it's kind of like a war going on between the left and the right. Yeah, I think that you know one of the things that um, I bring up when we get into these types of debates is um, back in 1995 um, when President Clinton was attempting to get his assault weapons ban, you know, through Congress. And there was some heavy duty pushing from the NRA, you know, to stop congressmen from 
you know, voting in that direction. There was a letter that was written by three former presidents, and it was Jimmy Carter, Gerald Ford, and Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan, certainly, you know, everybody in the Republican Party seems real quick to quote him. So allow me to in this particular case. Um, he wrote, he, he signed on the letter and said, look, there's no reason for these types of weapons to be considered, you know, um, something that is a normal rifle or a normal weapon of any sort. Um, he even took it one step further. He not only signed the letter, which went to every member of Congress, he literally made phone calls to some of the guys who, you know, he felt were, you know, under siege because of it and told them why he felt that that, that was the way it should be done. So, you know, with Reagan's help, Clinton's bill got through you know, the House and Senate. It went into law and it sunset in, in, in 2004. Add to that, you've got Antonin Scalia, right? Now, Reagan and Scalia are probably two of the most quoted conservatives by you know, the Republican Party. Scalia in his, um, um, in Heller versus the District of Columbia, it was Scalia who wrote the opinion of the um, majority. It was a five to four, you know, deal, which definitely, which actually defines what exactly, you know, is covered under the Second Amendment. And in that, Justice Scalia wrote, and it's in the last paragraph, if anybody wants to go out there and read it, it's not like I made this up, you can go find it. In the last paragraph or two of Scalia's, um, Scalia's opinion, he specifically says that any type of military grade weapon or any weapon that can be made into a military grade weapon, like a, you know, AK-15 or any of the other assault type rifles or semi-automatic rifles clearly don't fall under um, Second Amendment rights because um, there's no need for weapons of war because, you know, we don't need militias anymore. And so even, so there you have the two biggest conservatives that are constantly um, being quoted, both of them fell down on the side of, you know, there's no need for assault weapons, yet, you know, you've got people with the Second Amendment deal screaming, and if you take it even one step further, there's been five states and the District of Columbia who has banned assault weapons. The NRA's taken them for court, the NRA has lost in every one of them. I'm sorry, seven, I should say. They've lost in four different um, court cases. And their Supreme Court re has refused on four separate occasions to even take up consideration of overturning uh, a state's right to ban weapons. Yeah, you, you know, there's always a line to be drawn somewhere, just like with the First Amendment. The First Amendment doesn't protect somebody running into a movie theater and yelling fire. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't allow you to make death threats to someone. There's always mm -hmm. a line to be drawn, 
and nothing's definite. You know, like the First Amendment is not completely definite saying you can say anything you want 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. There's always – that Constitution wasn't written to to just let people let people hurt others. You know, it, mm-hmm. it was written to protect us. And I don't, I don't see the, a reason for assault weapons. I just like this. In most states, automatic weapons are banned, and mm-hmm. there's no, there's not really an argument against that. What's the difference? You know, I mean, there's a difference, but the line, the line that, the line that's drawn isn't, isn't. You, you can't, you can't say that you can draw a line and say that anything, anything is definite. Whereas the Second Amendment protects you. To, allows you to have any gun you want or any firearm you want. There's always going to be an exception. I mean, there's going to be weapons that are just ridiculous that it's obvious you shouldn't have. You know, it's, well, people, I think people lean on the Second Amendment and the First Amendment too much sometimes mm-hmm. just to get, a, get away with crimes or get away with doing something that they know that our forefathers didn't intend. Well, in some regard, they don't even pay attention to the history of the amendment and what it's there for. So, um, you know, it's just, it's, it makes you go crazy at times to say, look, please go to your history book and please look it up because you absolutely positively have no, you know, standing on this. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's what the courts are there for is to, you know, examine the laws and examine examine what they're there for. And mm-hmm. so far, I, I think they've done a pretty good job at that. And we've seen that a lot with uh, the courts overruling some of Trump's executive orders. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I feel like they're kind of like our saving grace right now. Well, it's funny too. Um, a lot of people I remember back a few years ago, I'm sure you remember when uh, the court had an opportunity for all intents and purposes to sink the, uh, the ACA or Obamacare, and they didn't. And the surprising siding vote came from justice. Um, John Roberts made the um, was the deciding vote. Now he got a lot of beef from um, you know from conservatives, but the people forget. Just like presidents have legacies, speakers of the House have legacies, members of Congress, governors, everybody has legacies. So does a chief justice of a Supreme Court. And I think in that case, what John Roberts was going to say is if I rule here and I, and I decided to blow this up, what exactly would the effect be if I did that? Now, obviously, it's not like he and I had that conversation. This is like me speculating why he came to that resolution on it yeah pre- re- precedents like yeah. precedents just as important as the law you pass you know sure if you're in a set precedent that's for all of history you know or for mm-hmm. all of the future and i think that you know what roberts was saying or in his you know in his you know he wrote the majority on that one if you look at it what roberts is basically saying if i do this i will send you know the healthcare industry into chaos you know, basically, that's not my, he's basically telling Congress, that's not my job. You guys do your job, I'll do my job, which is, you don't have a case here. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, that's, that's a great move, because the, the courts have to know where 
where their line is too in determining the law. You know, it's, so it, it, I, I feel like the court systems are going to play things fair for the most part. You know, there might mm-hmm. be conservative ideologies and more liberal ideologies, but in the end, they're not going to play politics. I don't feel, I feel like they're, they're respectable enough, especially when you reach the Supreme Court where they're going to do what they think is in line with the law. Well, I think we saw that um, just a couple of weeks ago when, uh, um, you know, when Gorsuch in his first decision sided with, um, you know, sided with the liberal part of the uh, wing of the Supreme Court and said, you know, no, the, you know, this is not, this is not right. And yep, uh, yeah. I think they were like, wait a minute, this is not what we thought he was going to say, but um it ended up being that way because he felt, as I said before, this is, um, you know, law is the law. And, you know, just because you put me in that place doesn't mean I'm going to side with you every time, every time we talk about it. Yeah. That was definitely refreshing to see. Yeah. Believe me, it doesn't happen. Kind of that raises often. any questions. If it raised any questions, okay. Is this guy just kind of put there by Trump and has he pledged his loyalty to Trump? God forbid, yeah. Um, which would be strange. Well, look, I'll, I'll tell you, it's, yeah. and it's been a lot of fun chatting with you. Um, where can we find your writing for? Where can I find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, at Ed Crassen, E D K R A S S E N, and you can. I have a website, just edcrassenstein.com. Well, Ed, it's been a pleasure, and. Uh, you know, as someone who follows you on Twitter, I think everybody should. It's a lot of fun. If you are on Twitter, Ed's got a, a great take on many different things. Uh, by all means, check him out. He's a very cool guy, and we really appreciate having you. And, Ed, uh, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks, Jim. It's been a pleasure being here. Uh, it was some great discussion. We will be back with more of the Politically Incorrect podcast after these words. Let me tell you a little bit about my friends at BitTrust IRA, okay? The world of cryptocurrency is both exciting and daunting, okay? It's not a place for rookies. Look, if you don't have cryptocurrency like I do and millions of others, in your existing portfolio, you are making a mistake. But now I know you want to take advantage of Bitcoin, but you don't know how. You want to add Bitcoin to your retirement account. Look, you're always wanting to add diversity to your portfolio, you know, and why not look at innovative investments, right? I'm going to tell you what, my buddies at BitTrust IRA are going to help you do this in a seamless and secure way to add cryptocurrency to your portfolio. Their team handles the entire process. They make it easy, okay? Now, their team becomes your team. They explain everything to you in a step-by-step manner. Very easy, okay? They answer every one of your questions. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to download a free copy of their cryptocurrency IRA investor's guide. That's called the cryptocurrency IRA investor's guide. It is free, and you can get it at bittrustira.com slash podcast. That's B-I-T-T. R-U-S-T-I-R-A dot com slash podcast. B-I-T-T-R-U-S-T-I-R-A.
S-T-I-R-A dot com slash podcast. Or if you prefer to call, that's not a problem either. All right, you ready? Here's the numbers. 855-642-8800. That's 855-642-8800. Call the folks at Bid Trust IRA today. You're going to thank me for it. I know you will. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Politically Incorrect Podcast. Now, if you haven't subscribed yet, First of all, shame on you. Second of all, we make it very simple. All you have to do is go to the iTunes store because we're part of the Apple Podcast family and happy to be there. Google Play Store, Blog Talk Radio. Now, if you're a serious podcast listener, we know many of you are, we're on the top three podcast apps. That's Stitcher, Spreaker, and TuneIn. Now, all you have to do is just search the Politically Incorrect Podcast with Jim Williams, Hit your favorite button, and each week you will get the show delivered to either your phone or your tablet or to both. Now, something very cool is happening, and that is if you own any of the great Amazon Echo personal assistant devices, then all you have to do is ask, hey, Alexa, would you please play the latest edition of the Politically Incorrect podcast? And poof, it'll pop right up there. So do us a favor. Go out there and subscribe today. All right. Okay. Thanks very much. All right. Speaking of thanking very much, thanks to Ed Krasenstein for joining us. Absolutely a must follow on Twitter. He is funny. He is insightful. And as you heard, he is definitely opinionated. So definitely follow Ed. He's a good friend of the show and someone who you're going to want to uh, to follow and enjoy. All right. Next week, we're headed out west. That's right. Just like Horace Greeley said, we're going West, young man, and we will be talking politics in the state of California. So you're going to want to hear that. We're going to find out, you know, what are the chances that Devin Nunez can indeed um, be ousted out there? We'll find out coming up next week. So for the entire gang here at the Politically Incorrect Podcast, I'm Jim Williams saying have a wonderful and safe weekend.